Yo, yo, it's the top of the week. Get your popcorn ready podcast with your boy right here, T.O. and my homie Hatch. Let's In the building. Rolling. Yep, yep. Get you. We have a great guest today. Anthony yes, sir. Of the Six. Minnesota Vikings. Six-year NFL veteran, four-time pro bowler at linebacker for the Minnesota Vikings, and overall good character kid. And he went to Loyola High School where we was working out last summer, T. I had you out there about to pass out when he was trying to run some raggedy slants. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. You, it's it's so funny. I'm running a lot of raggedy slants, but you be want me to come out there and run them though. Hey, exactly. I'm, I can no, run you, yo broke butt. Can't I can't. Run you got that right. Down body can't run nothing. You can't but I can watch hit. though. Yeah. Can't run a hit. But yeah, man, I'm looking forward to Anthony Barr. I honestly, like I said, even when I played and even even post football, I don't really know a whole lot of guys, but I definitely have heard this guy's name. Uh, yeah. a number of times so i'm definitely looking forward to uh to talking with this kid i know he's done a lot of great things as you said your uh, loyola uh product um this guy like i said uh making making his present known on and off the field so i'm looking forward to, to, to meeting the guy absolutely coming up on get your popcorn ready podcast anthony Barr from the minnesota vikings Yeet! you can find us on the himalaya app wherever you get your podcast and don't forget to subscribe to my youtube channel youtube backslash Terrell Lawrence, and we'll have all this content available to you so just subscribe to the youtube uh, channel as well as any other social media channels and like had said subscribe wherever you get your podcast sharing is caring holla at your boy Anthony Barr coming up on Get Your Popcorn Ready Podcast. It's all yeah. good. Welcome to Get Your Popcorn Ready Podcast. We got a special guest today. Anthony Barr is in the house today. Appreciate you coming on, brother. Yes, sir. No doubt. How we doing? Oh, we good. We good. You know, we just uh, trying to stay stay uh, safe out here in this quarantine world. We got COVID going on. We got you know, protesting going on. A lot going on in this world. But, you know, just trying to stay positive and keep it moving. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I feel you. I think we're all on the same page with that. Yeah, that's right. So you out here, you out here in LA, right? Yeah, I've been here for man for a while now, longer than I, you know, longest duration I've been here since since my college days. So uh, it's right. been good though. It's been good to be here, be with the fam, uh, especially during these times and everybody's been uh, healthy and staying safe for the most part. You know, so I, I'm blessed. What you been doing for like your workouts and stuff, trying to stay in shape for the season coming up? Yeah, well, we was going to the gym pretty uh, pretty early on, like early March, um, and then. Uh, you know, COVID hit pretty hard uh, right around then, like mid-March, mm-hmm. and it, things started shutting down here. So I was on the at-home regimen for about a month. Um, and then there's a little rehab place, rehab facility I was going to that, that passes the medical mm-hmm. and there's a little gym in there. So get my weights in there. And then just the past six, seven weeks, there's there's been a field down in Encino we've been going to, uh, pairing that with the gym. So staying on top of it, you know, doing doing what we can during the times. Nice. What, what would you say the, the tempo of your workouts are? Because everybody, like I said, you kind of think, well, is the season coming, not coming? Do I really have to right. get ready? Do I get in shape type? Or are you going 100 yeah. miles an hour right now? No, I'm, I'm revving it up a little bit. You know, I'm, a, I'm an old dude now in the league, though, man. This is about right. to be my seventh year, you know, so I'm not, uh, I'm oh, not going dude. 100 miles per hour like I did, you know, back in the day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm, getting up, I'm getting up there in age. So yeah. uh, I, I ease into them start, starting in March, you know, and then, you know, by, by this time we start picking up the Mm-hmm. This is you said your seventh seventh year. How old are you, my man? Yeah, I'm 28. 28. Yeah. Oh, you are 28. Y'all look the same. Y'all look the same. Y'all got it's been a while. Dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know. I try to, you know, maintain. You know, what I mean, it's mm-hmm. you know, it, I I can I can I can grow it out if need be, but you know, I'm I have sure. no choice right now. 
I'm sure. You know, I let, I let the top down, let this thing kick back. Through <laughs> the air. Oh, that's good. Uh, that's let that good up. go. Let that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, shoot. Being 28, one of the veterans in the locker room. How are you taking that? I said getting the the younger guys ready for the season. That you got talking to them on the phone. You guys doing zooms because right. you're not one of the leaders of of the team now. Yeah, it's been a it's been a different experience. You know, obviously, this year, um, not, not having OTAs, and I think that's going to hurt some of the younger cats. Uh, especially, you know, that's the time for them to get up to speed, kind of understand uh, the culture in the locker room, meet meet your teammates and meet your coaches and see people face to face. So I haven't seen uh, any of these young dudes. I haven't met any of them in person. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I've had the conversations that we had over the, the virtual meetings we have for about seven, eight weeks. Um, but they seem like good people, you know, and, that, and that's, you know, that's a start. You know, I think that's kind of how we draft. You know, we draft kind of character guys first. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the athletic parts are obviously important, but we want good, good people in that locker mm-hmm. room. And, uh, they, they seem like they're up to speed with it. You know, I have open line communication. Anybody, you know, they give everybody my number, reach out if you want to uh, chop it up, talk talk football, just talk life, man. I know it's a lot going on. So just trying to be an ear. I'm, I'm more of a listener than a talker anyway. So uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, that that kind of plays into uh, plays into my favor um, during this time. Yep. So, so, yeah, so I, yeah, I, yes, go, go ahead, T. You good? Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, knowing that you, you're you kind of the like, elder statesman elder statesman in, in, your, in your locker room, you know, whether you want to be a leader or not, I think people are going to look up to you um, as such. You know, do you think where does that leadership come from? Do you think obviously I think a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, uh, you have a, uh, and had have have had a number of relatives that have played uh, at the professional level. Um, is that where some of your leadership has come from, having these guys that have been at the you know kind of forefront uh, for you leading leading and uh, going into the NFL? No, I, th- I think, um, you know, a lot of my leadership comes from my mother and my grandfather. Um, you know, I was raised by a single mom um, in my grandparents' house, you know, so I seen my grandfather work, um, you know, tireless hours um, at, a, at a young age. You know, I, I was, a, my mom was a young mom. She was 19 when she had me. Uh, so I grew up kind of with her um, and some of my, my um, aunts and uncles in the house as well. Uh, that carries on to high school and college. You know, I think I had a really good positional coach in college, uh, Jeff Olbert, who now, uh, like an assistant DC over in uh, Atlanta. Um, he played in the league for about 10 years uh, in San Fran. I don't know if y'all crossed paths at all. Jeff Albrick, that name yes, rang sir. a bell when you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he um, thought he was a stud. <laughs> he, thought, he thought he was a stud, bro. He, he goes hard, man. He, but he was, he got me, he got me right. He got my mental right um, in college in terms of like, you know, what I need to do and uh, how I need to get there. And he really, you know, uh, helped me with that. Um, but I think I've always just led by example, really. You know, like I said, I'm not really a wild, wild, get in your face type. But I'm gonna go out there and do my job and do it the right way, and uh, I carry that on off the field as well. You know, there's a certain way I like to live about my life. I'm a, you know, man of morals and principles, and um, you know, I, I try to do things the right way for the most part. And you know, I think that's that can be contagious. You see it done the right way long enough, um, you're like, okay, this this dude uh, obviously been in, like, he's been there for a while. He knows what he's doing, um, and it kind of gets everybody on that same page. But yeah, I come down to, you know, the Vikings training camp pretty much every year. Of course, I see you down there. But, you know, it all starts with Coach Zimmerman. You know, again, like the, the character of you guys' team is like the character of, you know, pretty much your head coach. How important you think it is character versus talent in the NFL? Because that's what we try to preach a lot on here. Because, again, I'm a small school guy. He's a small school guy. And, yeah. you know, we, people just think, oh, you're five star. You go to Alabama, you go straight to the league and play 10 years. It doesn't really work like that. It's like got a lot with your character, work ethic, more yeah. than just your talent. Yeah, I, mean, I think talent's going to get you there. Uh, the character's going to keep you there. You know, I mm-hmm. think uh, 
talent. Uh, everybody's got obviously you got to be you have to have some type of talent to make it to the league, uh, make yeah. it to college, even high school, right? Like you got to be able to you know run fast, jump high, you know, all, you know lift weights at a, at a high level. All that um, that's a given. I think I think everybody can agree on that. Um, but in terms of remaining, you you can get two three years in the league pretty pretty easily based off your talent. Um, but mm. you know, and then it comes to character, and you got to make you have to be faced with some tough decisions. You know, as you you know, progress through the league, and there's going to be uh, people asking you for all different types of things that people ain't never heard of. You know, all of a sudden, <laughs> your cousin now, and you're going you're gonna to have, yeah. uh, you know, drama with females and drama with, you know, yeah. all type of things, right? And you, you're going to be pulling a whole bunch of different directions. Um, but you got to understand what got you here and why are you here? You know, you're here to, you know, you're here to work, you're here to play football, you have a job to do. So mm-hmm. if you can keep that the main focus and, and all the other cars and houses and jewelry and all that flashy stuff like that's all fun man that, that comes with the territory and you earn it you deserve it like go go do those things but um that's not that's not gonna keep you in the league like yeah. you yo yo choker diamond choker that's not gonna that's not gonna right. make plays for you right? like, <laughs> uh, you still gotta get out there on sunday and, and perform so mm-hmm. um it's good to look good and I, I agree i like to dress i like the, i like all, i like nice things too but Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that, that my, where the priorities are, and, and that's what my team, that's what my uh, my family, and um, I, I keep the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. Speaking well, yeah. of speaking, speaking of uh, of talent, speed, and those things that, like, as you said, it gets you to the league, um, and obviously the character, it it it, it uh, kind of sustains you. Um, but when you think about speed and and, and talent, um, you played uh, running back, wide yeah. receiver, tight end, <laughs> everything. Uh, you, at UCLA, so yeah. now you're a linebacker. You've been in the league what seven, seven years now. Uh, talking about, you know, obviously sustaining and obviously talent getting you into the league. Do you yeah. think you would be still in the league if you would have stayed yeah. at one of those positions, running back, uh, wide receiver, or tight end? And then give me the best, the best position out of those three that you feel like uh, you possess. <laughs> um, I think. Uh... I think no. Uh, first of all, I don't. I don't think I'll make the league as a receiver or running back. I'm too big to be running back, and I'm right. uh, too. I'm not. I'm not twitchy enough to be a receiver. Um, I think go. I could pull off tight end though. I think I'm big enough. Uh, I'm fast enough. I could. You know, I got a decent amount of decent hands. You know, I, I could block. Uh, I guess if I had to, I don't really like blocking. Um, but <laughs> I think. I think if I if I if I stuck with tight end, maybe I would have be able to pull it off. Um, yeah. But outside linebacker, like. Three, four. That was like in college. That was my thing, like being on the edge. Mm-hmm. And so I really changed position again when I got to the league, like going inside and being like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still considered outside linebacker, but we're in the four three and like we're playing nickel. You know, sixty seven percent of the snaps. So I'm really yep. inside there. Um, so I'm I low key. I feel like I've been playing out of position like for for a while. Um, you know, I think my natural like best position on the field would be on the edge, like you know, eighty percent of the snaps. Um, that's just not the case. And I've been able to. Uh, make a career out of you know the, the, this position that I'm in, um, and I've been fortunate to you know be, be this far. Um, but I still think I'm kind of playing out of position, even this far in my career, which kind of sounds like kind of crazy, but that's that's just how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. So what yeah, sparked that transition, though? I mean, to go from offense to defense, and then obviously yeah. you've been very very successful uh, on the defensive end. What I mean, what what in what yeah. gives you the idea, especially in college, because that's a that's a big transition, especially. Your sure. what sophomore year going into your to your junior right. year, that's a big adjustment for any kid for that matter. Then you're trying to obviously make it to the uh, at, uh, to the next level at the pro level. Yeah, I think um, it was a couple of factors. First of all, we were terrible at uh, UCLA my first two years, you know, I, and I wasn't playing much. So I was I was, you know, labeled a running back or H back mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. 
but I wasn't really getting on the field that much. I wasn't producing. And there was a point where I was just like, man, this is not fun anymore. Like mm-hmm. I'm used to being, you know, scoring touchdowns and being, you know, have the ball in my hand and all mm-hmm. these fun things. Like it's kind of a an addictive feeling, right? I'm sure TL can attest. Like you know, Matt, you could attest yeah. like catching you know, tugs. Like that's no, that's I can attest. Feeling, right? Hey, just <laughs> I uh, yes, I, I can attest. attest. He had he Hats just had a he just had a, about a hundred more touchdowns than me, but I I can't attest. <laughs> but you know the feeling, like it's it's an addictive feeling, like yeah. Um, and that's something I really wanted to you know continue doing. But um, we had a coaching change my sophomore year. Uh, mm-hmm. Coach Moore came in with defense staff, with his defensive right. staff. Oldbrick was on that staff, right? And that was the – he was our linebacker coach. And one of my first days, he, I think it was in January when uh, Coach Moore was on campus, I was thinking, like – I was thinking of transferring, like, stopping, stop playing football, really, because I just wasn't mm. having fun. Like, when you don't have fun with something – especially for me, like, I can't really force myself to do something I don't like. Um, mm-hmm. But then we had a conversation, and he started talking about defense, and, like, Coach Moore was so passionate at the time, and same with Oldbrick. Like, they were just, like – like just they just kind of reinstilled that love for me. Um, that nice. was kind of missing, like sparked it up again. And next thing you know, you no, know, fast forward to week one, we out there and I'm playing outside linebacker, flying around, making plays. I'm like, man, this is fun again. So mm-hmm. uh, it, was, it was a combination of like me, um, you know, having that conversation and then the coaches like making me feel good about, you know, because they could easily say like, ah, nah, we don't want you to do that. And that would probably like shut me down again. But they were like really open to it and they were really accepted to the idea. And that was like, that was everything I needed to hear. Nice. So I know, um, like I said, last year I was coaching at Loyola High School, brought T up there. You know, he came up to a bunch of games, got to know a bunch of the kids as well. Yeah. Um, but we also know that like you went to Loyola High School. You are the, the legend uh, at Loyola High School because they said you were the same size almost playing running yeah. back in high school. Like you were 6'2", 6'3", 234. Right. So, um, again, doing that in high school, you know, how that, of course, you're running back with the ball, but were you like a men amongst boys out there? Like go back to a little bit on your high school. Oh um, man, high school. Um, honestly, I remember when I first got like my freshman year, like Loyola when I was growing up was like a big football powerhouse. And that mm-hmm. obviously has changed a lot since, <laughs> yeah. since then. But you know, when I was going to there was, you know, there was one of the CIFs and they were sending people to the college and sending people to the league and like um, so when I got there, I was like, Man, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to make it. Like I was a young kid and I didn't know any better. And then you get there and you're like, Oh man, this is I've been doing this, you know, for four, four or five years. Like, I, I could, I could hang with these dudes, and uh, that's how it was. Freshman year, you know, we was, we was solid. Sophomore year, same, and you know, on through college, like I didn't play my whole senior year. Actually, I broke my ankle uh, the right. first game, second game of the year. So, like, I missed my whole senior season. But uh, junior year, yeah, like I, I had like twenty touchdowns, like two thousand rushing yards. Um, and I guess it, I never felt like I was like a man amongst boys, but I just was confident in my abilities. Like I knew what mm-hmm. I could do. I feel like. Um, nobody was gonna stop me. Uh, I was gonna get the rock, and I was gonna go and, and, and score. Like, and we had a good team. We had a really good team, but um, mm-hmm. we just fell short. Um, I think it, uh, there's multiple factors and in, in, were involved with that, but mm-hmm. uh, and it's kind of been that way for Loyola since. Like, we haven't really bounced back and become a, a, a program uh-huh. that is, yeah. yeah, that is just like even respectable now. It's kind of like kind of scoffed at, you know, when, when you mention them. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, they, they do things by the book there. You know, they're not re- out recruiting. They're not out getting guys yeah. from other schools, and, uh, prime schools. But, you know, at some point, you know, if you want to compete, you know, you got you to work. You know, you got to not bend the rules, but you got to, you know, you got to do something, right? You yeah, gotta, you got to do, gotta do what everybody so, else is doing at least. Yeah. Exactly. So I think it's getting to the point now where maybe they don't, maybe they're realizing it and they're starting to be like, all right, now we got to change it up a bit. We could, you know, step away from the traditional, we need, you know, the 4.0 student, like, it's, it's you know if you want some ballers you got you got to find them they're not, they're not all going to be in the classroom absolutely now you also have a foundation right that you do with the uh, Loyola High School uh, explain yeah. that a little bit 
Uh, so the last two years, we've had our, our foundation event there, and the foundation is the Raise the Bar Foundation. Um, mm-hmm. We support single parents in their uh, pursuit of education uh, while providing childcare if, if that's you know, uh, 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 the thing that the parent needs. Um, so uh, we started this in what, 2015, so this would be our sixth year, I guess, which is, mm. which is crazy. You know, things right. are flying by. Or no, this will be our fifth year, fifteen. Um, and it's uh, it's been it's been cool, man. It's it's been a uh, it's been really rewarding. You know, we've, I think like ninety five percent of the people we've given scholarship to have, have either um, graduated or still you know going strong in their um, academics. And um, we're based in Minnesota right now in Los Angeles, um, California, I guess. And we're trying to expand that, obviously, but uh, we're still in like the the early stages. You know, we're still getting the. Uh, our feet on the ground. Um, this year, the event's going to be a virtual uh, event um, on the 11th of July. We're going to start um, publicizing that and try to start promoting that a little bit uh, within the next week or two. Um, so you'll, you'll be seeing on social media, you know, follow me on social media, Instagram or Twitter at Anthony Barr. Um, just look out for that. It's a, it's a, great, it's a good cause and it's, it's been helpful uh, to a lot of people and we've got a lot of good feedback. So we're going to you know, try to ride the momentum that we got with that. Absolutely. Well, we're definitely, we're definitely pump that up. Hey, I know you. Uh, I know you. Uh, you your cameras. I noticed your camera's shaking a little bit. Do you want to before oh, so it to be a little comfortable? I don't know if you got it propped up or you're holding it or something. You want to put yeah, it in just, the best light. I'm just holding it, bro. I'm just holding yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. I don't got <laughs> professional setup over here. We am. I'm an amateur with this stuff. There you Sounds go. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just saying, if you wanted to just kind of, you know, we'll give you a minute if you wanted to prop it up on something, whatever, so right. you don't yeah. have to hold it for the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah, take your time, bro. Yeah, we want you to feel comfortable. You know what I mean? I just see you're, it's shaking a, a, a lot. Okay, for sure, for sure. No doubt. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. <clears throat> you can check us out on the Himalaya app or wherever you get your podcast. Get your yep. popcorn yeah. podcast. Get your popcorn ready. With your boy T.O. and Hatch right here. We got in the man. building. Yep, yep. We got our man Anthony Barr, Minnesota four-time, Vikings. Four-time pro bowler from the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, speaking of Minnesota, of course, right? We know that's ground zero right now for the, the George Floyd protests. And yeah. All these things going on. We know you're at the, you know, at the forefront for the Vikings as well as really like the, the whole city. Um, kind of explain some of the things you've been doing to, you know, kind of help bring light into that situation. Uh, yeah. So, you know, with the Vikings, we have a, a social justice committee um, that I'm a part of with about 10 other players. Um, and so we've been trying to uh, just think of ways that we can help not only the city, but um, kind of connect with law enforcement there and and the and kids really in, in mm. the city. Um, and so I was there three weeks ago. Um, and we met with a multi, like multiple groups. The first group we met with, with uh, was this group called All Square Reform Program. They were just explaining how hard it is for, um, you know, convicted felons and, you know, convicted uh, people, convicted crimes um, to kind of get back on their feet. You know, post uh, once they finish their time, they, you know, kind of pay their debt to society, whether that's mm-hmm. a five year sentence or five month sentence, whatever. Um, that kind of stigma is with you. And it's literally like on every job application. Like, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Have you ever been yep. convicted of a crime? Like, and usually, if, you know, you have to say yes. You can't really lie about that, and um, you're not really getting that job if, you know, for the most part, if, if you know that once they read that. So, uh, this this program brings in those, you know, those those ex um, felons into their uh, their building, and they 
they send them on jobs and they get them jobs and they have like a kitchen on site that put people to work in the kitchen. Um, they're working on starting to build their, their media platform. So they have starting to do kind of podcasts like what y'all are doing. Um, and just kind of getting people, you know, a, a second chance because they're just really mm. describing how hard it is for, um, like I said, for people to get back on their feet after they already felt like they paid their, you know, paid their due. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of tied hand in hand with uh, the JDC that we met with out there, which is the juvenile detention center. Um, a lot of these kids are, whether they're in for, you know, small things or major things, you know, they're still kids, you know, they're, you know, eight, 17, 18, 19 year olds who have been, you know, in this, you know, in this building for, and when we talked to them, they, you know, a lot of them had been there for a couple of years, months, you know, whatever the number was, but for the last two or three months that they were there during COVID, they haven't had no curriculum, you know, the, mm. the teachers that had been laid off and furloughed. Um, so they kind of just been sitting there playing games, watching movies. Um, we were trying to stress the importance, not only to them, but to like kind of the people like that were taking care of, like, man, you got to do something productive with these kids. You just, they're kind of just wasting away. And, um, so they made a mistake like they have but they have so much more life to live and right uh, right. there's there's a lot more out there for them so we're going to continue the open lines of communication with them um try to be more present uh myself especially i'm kind of putting the the pressure on myself to to stay consistent with that um Mm -hmm. and then finally met with the police uh, department the police uh, chief um chief of police and like three officers and we kind of just had an open q a with like a bunch of the players um Mm -hmm. about 10 15 of us and just shooting off shots and understanding uh, that's probably not a good thing to say, but shooting off the question. <laughs> yeah, we um, get it. Just uh just asking them, you know, why, why this, why that, how did this happen? How does it lead to this? How can yeah. three officers stand by and watch another murder somebody? Like what is yeah. the protocol? Are they supposed to step in? If I'm a civilian watching, can I step in? Like what what is what's what are some like, answers? Yeah, because I don't even know what are some of those answers to so, those. Yeah, of so he was just like during the training, like we're we're taught to intervene if excessive force is being used. And I was okay. like, So how did nobody step what? in? Um oh. and he's like he's like, Yeah, well, uh they, they were just wrong for you know not stepping in, not intervening. And mm. they said, and my and I was like, Well, is it like a is it like a like a frat house type thing where like, oh, I don't want to mess with my boy while he's right. doing something? Or is it like a boys' club type thing where like they are afraid to step on toes and hold each other accountable. Like what's up with that? Like if, right. cause if I'm a human being like as myself and I see some, whether that's a police officer or not, like I want to go intervene. Like I want to step yes. in and help somebody. Right. But I asked like, so if I'm a civilian and I'm seeing this, a police officer abusing somebody, mm-hmm. can I go right. myself? Can I, can I intervene? He's like, well, no, legally no. And that <laughs> would probably escalate the issue. Right. right. I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm, now I'm, now I'm, you know, kind of involved in that. Yeah. Um, but the other three officers just stand by and he was like, well, that's not a reflection of everybody. Um, which I get, but it's still like, like, so it's just a coincidence that these four dudes happen to be working at the same time um, right. the same, on the same street with the same dude. Like, and so some of the questions were answered. Some of them I didn't feel, you know, very good about the answer. Some of the answer kind of felt were like kind of brushed to the side. Of course. Um, but I think the pressure, they felt the pressure, like they, you know, it, it was applied. And, mm-hmm. um, so, but as far as I know right now, like Minnesota is trying to, Minneapolis is trying to disband the, the police, police department. department down there and replace it with, you know, community members. But personally, I think like the police are necessary, you know, like. Absolutely. Like, of course. Of just, course. just good yeah. police officers are right, necessary. Right, like two, three in the morning, like who you going to. If somebody's breaking your house or, you know, you, yeah. something goes wrong, like, who are you usually going to call? Like, you, you call the police, right? Um, let's just, 
I don't know, people don't really feel confident in doing that uh, right now. Um, and that's unfortunate because these guys are supposed to, you know, protect and be, be the ones that we look up to. And my thing is like, how can you expect, like you, you all are supposed to be the best, right? You're supposed to be the best of the best. People look up mm -hmm. to you, like you're supposed to be protecting communities. Right. And if y'all aren't, if y'all are misbehaving, how do you expect the communities to behave? Like, how do you right. expect people looking at you to go ahead and like act like, you know, proper human beings when the leaders aren't doing that? So we're looking at y'all and y'all are giving us bad examples. So mm -hmm. how do you, you know, how, how do you expect anything to get better if, if the leaders are, are kind of you know, not doing their right. part? Right. So you got you got yeah. drafted in Minnesota by Minnesota in 2014. So you've been in Minnesota for six years. You've seen it. Yeah. Now, was this like a shock when this whole thing came down with George Ford? Or have you seen some red flags or were you treated a certain type of way by any when, type of law enforcement during those six years? No, there was. The, the, they've historically been known as one of the most um, I don't know if abusive or problematic departments in the country, not just like in mm. Minnesota, but like. Minneapolis Police Department has been pretty corrupt for a while, according to you know, you know historical evidence. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, even the chief, you know, our our general manager asked a really good question. He straight, he said straight up, like, is there racism in your police department? And mm -hmm. he was like, well, I mean, this department's over 100 years old, so like, of course, you know, it's kind mm. of rooted on that. And and from the research I did, like, the police were first implemented to to catch runaway slaves. Like, this is when, when the police started. Mm. It was like the people trying to get freedom. These people were capturing these people and bringing them back. And these are usually obviously people, white people. Um, wow. So yeah, the, the the I think the department is kind of rooted on racism. And then you, know, you try to move away from that. And I think as as time goes on, like you start moving away from, it, but it doesn't disappeared never like necessarily leaves right. um in terms of experience i had one teammate um that i think he won his lawsuit it was about two or three years back he was at a restaurant um sitting outside the restaurant i think he either just finished or was waiting to go in and you know law enforcement approached him and said hey you can't be here you can't be standing here um but he's like no i'm a i'm a pay i'm a customer like i, I either, mm -hmm. i'm not sure like i said i'm not sure if he was coming in or coming or going um, and they gave him a they gave him a real hard time. So he took his phone out, started recording it. They slapped his phone out of his hand and like started getting aggressive with him. Um, luckily, he had that you know on camera. He had witnesses there, um, and he was able to to win his lawsuit. So um, mm. personally, for me, I have never experienced that in Minnesota. Um, but I know my experience isn't the experience of everybody. I have the luxury of being an athlete in the city, which is you know that that goes a long ways. Um, Absolutely, with, with a lot of people in that. The com but the common man, the common African, and the common black man is not going to get that um, that same you know that same respect that I get because I name drop my employer. You know what I'm saying? Like that's I have that that like I said that luxury. So uh, I know some teammates that have had you know some some tough experiences, um, but personally I have I haven't had that. Mm. Yeah, again from from Minnesota. So and you also grew you know grew up in Los Angeles. So there's a lot of that in Los Angeles as well, but. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even know, like I said, the race going back 100 years in Minnesota and, and them, you know, like I said, chasing down slaves 100 years ago. Well, that wasn't just in Minnesota. That was that's like the, that's, the, the, that's how the police department right. was formed. Right. right. So, yeah. So we I'd be shocked. And yeah, like, of course, 100 years later, sure. it's still that's going on because there's people in there that think that yeah, sounds it sound like a long time. But, but that's not that long ago. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I think 100 years. That's 1920. Like, that's that's really not we're not too far removed from that. True. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So, well, so man, I mean, man, this this meeting that you guys had, uh, you said it was a ten to fifteen of you guys going into that. I mean, what were your feelings going into that meeting? Because I know for me, 
I probably, like I said, there would be a lot of anxiety. I'm sure there would be a lot of, yeah. a lot of probably anger or whatever. Obviously, there are some questions. Sure. Obviously, you guys ask, and and I'm, as you mentioned, obviously didn't get you know the answers that you wanted. But but going into that, you know, understanding uh, like now we're probably maybe a maybe a, a little over a month um, after this death. What was? Can you just give me a sense of the feeling in the room? Because I'm sure they yeah. probably had some anxiety you know, meeting and talking and discussing with right. you guys as, as, as I'm sure you guys were as well. What was kind of like the, the mood that can you just kind of describe it for yeah. us? Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, man, it was like a, it was kind of like going to a game. Like I had to prepare for it. You know, I had to kind of do my studying up. I had to um, gather my information and then when it was time to get, you know, the lights were on, it was time to, okay, fire, fire some questions out and trying to get, you know, try to have a productive conversation. And it wasn't like a, uh, uh, a motherfuck situation where I'm just, you know, right. them and being like, blah, 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 this, that, and they're like, we, we needed to be, we had to, you know, had to have some dialogue and conversation. Dialogue. You know, yeah. it, it was, it was found, it was founded on like a base of respect. Like it wasn't, you know, we understood like, okay, they're part of the force that were the cause of this murder, but these weren't the guys that did it. So it's not like our, mm-hmm. our feelings of disdain and uh, upset wasn't like pointed necessarily at those guys, but they had, to be accountable for the rest of those people. Like one of my, you know, one of my players misses a tackle and the dude score, like still still counts against our points per game against the whole defense. You know what I'm saying? So like one dude, one dude kind of maybe doesn't represent everybody, but everybody's going to feel those repercussions of, you know, somebody, somebody messing up. Um, So it was a, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily nervous or scared or like, um, but I was, I was very, um, I guess, I guess a little anxious. Like I, I was definitely interested to see how they were going to respond, how they how they're going to um, communicate with us. And I think for the most part, they were pretty transparent. Like I said, not, I didn't necessarily agree with everything, but that wasn't the point. Like we weren't there to have a, you know, it wasn't to disagree or to agree. It was more so to mm-hmm. um, just to, to educate um, ourselves on kind of the, I guess the training and training and the, the, the practices and the, the, I guess the rules really. Yeah. Of that, and what can we do? Yeah. What do like, we do? Yeah. Like, like, how do we help? How do we, how do we, you know, what can we do to, to help the situation? Like, what do you need from us that you don't right. have that wouldn't make your job easier? You know? So, um, so the- yeah. So Alex King uh, or Alex King or whatever, he's one of the four officers um, that were holding uh, George Floyd down. And I've done a little bit of research on, on him and, um, I've come to understand that part of like he had only been on 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 force for like this this particular uh, group of guys he had only been there from like th- about three or four days, right. and so uh, come to find out that he joined the police force because he's witnessed you know something like this I think to to a, a family member or somebody uh, in his family uh, to police brutality and part of his reasoning. Uh, for joining the police force was to prevent mm. right. the very thing that he was a part of. Right. Wow. So yeah, that's for crazy, me. Man. Exactly. So for me, like I said, it, it's it's kind to it's kind of hard to kind of understand the very thing that he tried to 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 join the force to prevent, yeah. and he becomes a part of. Yeah. And so I'm I'm trying to figure out. Well, I think oh, I want to. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Just like with the uh, with with any. It's different until you become it's until you get a position of power, right? Like mm-hmm. anytime, and it, it's all good. Like until you get until you get like put in the heat of the moment, and now you're you're an enforcer. And I feel like historically, every leader, every like 
community leader, it doesn't matter if you're the best person on earth or like a bad person. People abuse that authority. You know, yep. people like historically are gonna find a way to do it, whether they realize it or not. Like you're gonna you're gonna find a way to to abuse that power. And I'm not saying that's what officers do, but I think they kind of get caught up in the moment. You know, they got the gun, they got the badge, they kind of feel like, you know, I'm a badass dude, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm here to you know, I'm here to protect and serve, but don't try me, don't try me either. Don't question me. And I'm but that doesn't make you you're not almighty when that situation right. like you can be wrong too. You can still learn, like you can still grow, like just because of your situation, like that shouldn't um that shouldn't force you into and, and the other thing I was saying was like non-compliance shouldn't equal death. Like even Absolutely. I understand like complying is the best way to prevent things, but even you see people that are complying, they're still getting tossed right. around and you know and beat up and shot and killed, right? So it's like but like, even what if do I'm not do? complying, like that shouldn't that shouldn't trigger. Okay, he's not complying. I'm gonna kill him. Like that doesn't make sense. How does that? The first thing you think of, like there's there's got to yeah. be some steps in between there, yeah. <laughs> a whole lot of steps yeah. in between there before that's the result to that. Right, and I think yeah. that's kind of what I'm angry about. Like I said, it's like because we can't handle it the right way. Whatever we do, if we say, "What am I getting arrested for?" We're being a smartass. If we right. don't say nothing, oh, you one of those quiet. It's like whatever we do, if that mm-hmm. person, if that you know that one particular cop wants to be racist, wants to be an a hole, wants to do, you know, that's his day of being being that dude. Then yeah. then we're going down. You know. No, I, I agree. That's why it's it's, it's kind of scary, bro. Because you never know, and I shouldn't be. I shouldn't feel the type of way when I see the lights behind me. Like I should there be like, go. oh, this is cool, but that's a that strikes fear. Like my stomach goes, you know, my my heart goes, in my stomach, and I'm like, oh mm-hmm. shit, like I thought I just went on a roller coaster. You know, I, I don't feel great. Yeah. And, you know, and I know that's the feeling for, for, for many black males, man. I know that's that's got to be a, a a feeling that y'all experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think with the guy, Alex King, he, he comes from a racially uh, diverse family. Um, wow. he, he has a couple of sisters. His mom is white. His dad is from Nigeria. And I find it so interesting that his sister, they, they're they're even I think if they haven't done it already, um, they're 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 changing their last name not to be associated really? with him wow. and wow. with the protest. Again, they've been out protesting against him as well. And then That's I just true. found out too, that this guy, again, he's out on bond. He's out on bond as well. Yeah, and he's know. running to some, yeah, he's running to some issues where again, obviously rightfully so people have confronted him about this, right. that, and the other. So I, I, me personally, I don't even know how he would even have the guts to, to be out <laughs> right. in public, oh, public, you know, especially right. with everything that is that has transpired. So That's real. Um, I think uh, yeah, like like people might not think they're racist, and but I think society and just like the culture we live in, they, there's so many like like movies or like shows, like the show Cops. Like you've seen black people get arrested all the time on that show, predominantly, <laughs> right? So like in in your head as a young kid, like a young whether you're black or white or Hispanic or Asian, like whatever you're seeing black men get arrested all the time. So you, you they're teaching you without teaching you that like, Absolutely. oh, these guys are bad. You know, like yep. these guys are dangerous. So like that carries on through your life. As you get older, that's, you're going to have that feeling. You see someone like walk by you, you're going to lock your door. You're going to walk to the side of the street. When we, we're, we're no different, man. We, we just look, we just look a little different. That's, that's it. We're no different yep. as people. We have the, we want the same things in life. We want to be happy, successful, have a family, all these things. But I think society teaches us and molds us from a young age, like how to, how to treat certain type of people mm-hmm. and, yeah, that's a, I, and that's an issue especially especially with athletes it's like we talked about this a couple weeks ago as well being an athlete you're going to have a lot of people at your fingertips saying i support you i love you you're my boy you're the best 
And then on their Twitter or on their Instagram or their Facebook, they're saying, you know, they're racist <laughs> and, you know, black lives don't matter. Like, right. which one is it? Like, you like me because I'm in this Minnesota Vikings uniform, but once right. I come out of this uniform, you're not supporting me or exactly. my culture or nothing I do. Exactly. And that's the well, issue. Exactly. I want to uh, read you guys something uh, from one of his siblings um, about the situation when it all uh, all transpired. And this will give you a sense of where his sibling, you really, really kind of where she is. It says right here, it says in a Facebook live video, his sister uh, Taylor King 21 appeared with the head of the local NAACP to speak of the injustice that fell, that befell Mr. Floyd, acknowledging being related to Mr. King, but never mentioning his name. Uh, Mr. King's sister Radiance posted a video of Mr. Floyd's final minutes on Facebook. And she said, just broke my heart, she wrote. In an interview, she said that as a black man, her brother should have intervened. She Mm. said she planned to change her last name in part because she did not want to be associated with her brother's actions. She says, quote, I do not care if it was his third day at work or not. Quote, Mm -hmm. she said, he knows right from wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're saying. It's like, because to me, it's, 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 it's humanity. How do you treat another human like that? Yeah. You know, and like, that's, that's the going no, back to. It don't make sense to me, man. Don't add up. Like, <laughs> no, no. I don't know. I don't know. That's, yeah. why I, that's why, you know, I think uh, like with police officers, I think some of it is, you know, they deal with a lot of trauma. Like they see a lot of things, like just like war veterans, like they go, mm-hmm. and I'm not excusing anything they're doing, but like they need, I think they need psychological like yep. practices in the department, like mandatory sessions where they can, where they talk about it or not, like they need to have psych training. They need to have more than just the, you know, the department, the, 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 the typical training they do, whatever, whatever they're doing, you know, and that needs to be ramped up. And I, I was also talking to my, my uncle about like, def, he's an officer, you know, defunding the police and first dismantling. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, he was saying like the funding really, you know, in my understanding, it's more as just allocating the funds into other, you know, other areas instead of just you know going into to one funneling to one you know, part of the department you kind of um, open it up a little more so now they have a little more resources for um, like social workers like officers don't need to be responding to like social calls that social workers should be responding to you know, right with right. a lot of like um, people that whether they're like the drug problems like drug drug addicts the officers don't want to deal with those things they're, they're just gonna pick them up put them in the car and take them to the to the station like these people need help. Like these people need mental mm-hmm. help, and, and you need social. Right, they have the facilities. Yeah, it's, they, they, yeah, that's not an area for 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 the police. Yeah, yeah that's, don't throw, that's, don't throw, don't throw this dude in prison. You know, unless he's distributing, and you know, you know, obviously that's different. But as users, users need help. They need, you know, they need people to help him pass his addiction. And um, I think that's a whole other issue. Like that's that's just, and then most mm-hmm. of the people are black people. Like they're in prison. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, with, with that being said, you know, trying to switch gears a little bit, um, obviously, everything that we're dealing with now as a, as a country, especially dealing with racism, you know, this was sparked by the kneeling, um, uh, the protest uh, of Colin Kaepernick, you know, and obviously it fell on deaf ears uh, four years ago. Um, what do you think about uh, now? Obviously, you were part of this group of guys that rallied and put out this video, um, you know, that black lives matter. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, can you kind of just give us a walkthrough, uh, uh, give us a walkthrough of how that came about, you know, with you guys just kind of, you know, collaborating and, and putting out that, that message and banding and unifying together. And then yeah. give us your reaction to 
you know, uh, Roger Goodell's, um, you know, uh, I guess his post after you guys did. Yeah. Yeah. So Cap, I think he was, you know, obviously he's, he had seen this coming for, for a while and he was really, um, I guess for lack of a better term, the scapegoat uh, for the league, mm-hmm. you know, they, yep. they wanted to use him as an example, you know, we're not going to tolerate this. Um, and uh, he's lost his career over it. And that's like, like the ultimate sacrifice somebody can make, you know, losing their, their, their livelihood, their, their well-being, or their, their job, their occupation um, for the betterment of others. And he brought a lot of recognition and light. And a lot of people were saying, Oh, he's disrespecting the flag and he's doing uh, right. disrespecting the military. Um, when he was very clear with his purpose as to what he was doing and what he was doing it for, but nobody wanted to hear it then. And people kept twisting it and using a different narrative to kind of fit their agenda. Like, okay, well, he's even the president, you know, tweeting out, like, I'm not watching football anymore. You know, they're going to And so that's like, it's, it's taken away from the point and the, the, the message. And so um, I think you'll be seeing a lot of kneeling this year. Um, if, if there's a football season, um, I think whether, I think, across all sports, um, you'll see a lot of that during national anthems being played. Um, in terms of the video um, that we had made, um, Eric Kendricks and I want to you know, make a statement uh, kind of before that video came out, because the, the NFL was real quiet on the whole situation. Um, mm. You know, we're, we're a league made of mostly black men in terms of not the front office, but the people on the field, the soldiers out, out there on the field, um, you know, mostly black guys. And, to not have that support from, you know, the league that uh, possesses so much power and people look up to them so, so heavily, like it's so influential. Um, mm-hmm. That was kind of disappointing. So we wanted to kind of push the envelope a little bit, um, which I think was a start. And then Mike Thomas reached out um, for us to all be part of this video that he was, uh, that he was really the ringleader behind it, put everything together and got the guys to, um, you know, speak their piece and then put that together, um, which I think was pretty powerful. Um, and then it def- definitely, you know, I think nudge the league again. You know, when you see, you know, I'm a defensive player, um, but, the you know, the big faces are quarterbacks, receivers, um, you know, all right. guys, you know, running backs. And so when you have a, you know, you have a video full of, you know, Mike Thomas's and Odell's and Patrick Mahomes, that's going to you know, that's going to start, you know, catching the need on the envelope, yeah. attention, you know, so. Uh, I think Adele responded maybe 24 hours after that. Um, <laughs> he, he was quick to, yeah. he was quick, to <laughs> he was quick to make some put some out after that. Yeah. Um, and whether it was to save face or whether it was because he really felt that way, um, for him to say what he said, I think, I think it was a it was a start. Like he had never mm-hmm. said nothing about that before. You know, had never you know been that vocal about it. Um, and I think he had no choice and, 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 the, mm-hmm. and the players kind of put that pressure on him. And so I, it was good. It was good to hear. Um, we actually had a phone call with him two, three weeks ago, me and Eric, um, just us two and him kind of talking about, you know, what are the next steps? What is the league actually going to do to, um, you, you talk good, right? But what, what are you actually trying to, trying to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned, and I was really specific on diversifying front offices and you know, general managing positions and co- head coaching jobs. Um, and he said there are rules in place and there are certain things in place that you know mandate, um, you know, a, a minority coach to be or a minority front office member to be hired. But um, it wasn't it's not being it, adhered to. It's not. That's being what I'm saying. To. Like I, these things you're saying these rules, but look at the numbers. Like the numbers right. are, telling, are, are saying it doesn't reflect those it things that up. he's mentioning that he and said he, that are mandated. Right. 
but you, it's like, how do you, how do you force somebody to hire somebody? You know, that's, that's a whole nother issue. Like, mm-hmm. you have, and there's plenty of colored people that are qualified for these jobs, like right, ex-players that would love to be in these positions. Right. Absolutely. Um, but they're not given the chance. And that, I think that goes down, like he can do so much, but that comes down to the owners, in my opinion. Like the owners and the individual teams, like they have to, they have to set a precedence. Somebody's gonna have to step up and set a precedence. Um, to, I, to do that. And and speaking of, when you say somebody has to set a precedent, you just mentioned, yeah, it's you know, yeah, Roger Goodell is is he's part of that equation, but he, I don't really honestly, honestly, I don't think he's gonna be the one to move no. that needle. When you say somebody, yeah. that, that's honestly me listening to you. That somebody is just what you said. The 70 plus percent of guys that make up the NFL, and that's you black players. You yeah. guys have to make that happen. Because if you're waiting for a Roger Goodell to do it, no, he's going to get on that phone call and give you the song and dance, the typical, oh, this is, these rules are in place, blah, 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 blah. He's just going to give you the run of the meal. Nothing is going to happen. It's going to be up to you guys, bro, to move that needle. And right. until that happens, like the question is how, like what exactly is it? And exactly, we do, you know, so it's right. like what, what steps do we do? What can What's we do steps? as players um, to to make that happen? You know, because what do you sit out games until it changes? Like, is that reasonable? Is that logical? Like, are players going to do Are players going to do that though? People want their money, you know what I'm saying? It, you know, so that's right. Whole, but you got, but just as you said, just as you, that, you know? right, but just as you said, just as Colin Kaepernick made a sacrifice, you sure. guys, the people like yourself, you're a black guy. You're a black player. You are in a position of power. You have a voice. Just right. like you, remember this, just like you guys made a stance with your video and you said 24, less than 24 hours or 24 hours, Roger Goodell came out with a, with a, with a, with a statement. That's right. exactly, that, bro, trust me, that's exactly what's going to happen if the majority of you guys, the black players, and even some of these white guys that are standing aside with you guys that are saying that they're allies, they, they stand for Black Lives Matter. If they stand in unison with you guys and like, yo, we're not playing unless such and such happens, trust me, it's going to be yeah. 24 hours or less before the mood, the, at least no, the dialogue starts to happen. 100%. So again, I just think, I don't think we're unified enough as a, as a, as, as as a, a players association. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah. that's what has to happen. We had, we had a, we had a vote on the CBA. We had like, 800 guys not even vote on their not own even CBA. You know Bro. It's like, if you're yeah. not going to vote on your own CBA, I know y'all know not, not voting on uh, you know, policies Real issues, and, right. and governing Bro. And, and stuff and like that. Co- so it's like, we're so divided as, a, as an players association. Um, whether because people Bro. don't care, they're not interested, whatever the reason is, we're just not, we're not strong enough. We're not, even there's too many guys. I don't know. We're just not unified. No, it's, everybody honestly, it is, it is, it honestly, I'm, I'm on the outside looking in, bro. But I feel for you guys, it, it's sad to know that some of these guys, like I said, you guys have so much power and so much leverage. And like I said, sometimes you got to get, you have to, you have to foreshadow. You got to kind of see beyond. You got to be a visionary. You got to see beyond yeah. where you are right now. And again, just as you said, you guys got to be able to be able to w- be willing to sacrifice just a little bit to get justice, for especially in a, in a yeah. situation like this. 100%. Justice. And then even on top of that, even with you guys is, you know, like you said, the CBA, like what, 800 something guys didn't didn't vote on it. Just when you talk about the contracts that you guys have that are not guaranteed, there's not so many players that are going to be fortunate to be Anthony Barr's, Odell Beckham's, or or the the, the top high end, you know, position. But I try to explain that to a lot of the young cats on the team, like, 
it's, this is a this is a serious moment for y'all because this I'm, yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm on the I'm on the back half of my career. Y'all are just starting. Like this right. is gonna be this is y'all gonna be dealing with this for your whole career. And they were all they can see was the extra you know, a couple extra dollars that they're gonna make bro, early on. And the bro, little dollar signs. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to explain to people, but they don't understand, especially when you're a young dude, you haven't seen any money like that before. Those are big numbers to you. So they mm-hmm, use right. the legal use that against the younger dudes because they know right. that they're not really thinking in that in that mind space. And yeah. instead of giving us lifetime, you know, healthcare, which would be, you know, way more beneficial than a hundred thousand dollars up front. Right. Guys no, don't see that. They're, they're, not, they're not worried. <laughs> they're not worried about that, bro. They're not, they, they don't see that. And it's and hard to, it, it's hard to right. get everybody on the same page. Yeah. You're and talking about 1800 players. It's, it's hard to get 1800, let alone 500 on the same page. Bro, it's not saying. that hard with technology, bro. It's not that hard. Everybody can group text. Bro, you can, oh, no, you can group, talk about it, but to get that person to buy yeah. in, to change that person. It was, it was tough to you, bro. I tell you, we were doing this with our team. And it was tough to get everybody on. I, I had a tough time connecting with dudes, like whether they didn't answer my call, they didn't text back, whether mm-hmm. they did text back. And it was just like, a, you know, a very vague response. Like it was just people had other things right. going on. They worried about other things. And it's like, this is your life, though. This is this, is, this, is, this bro, should be important to you. It should be up there for you. And it was, they just didn't, I don't think, took it as serious as as it was and you know we're stuck with this this deal that we got for the cba for another 11 plus years yeah but i, I commend you for trying though like i say you as long as you keep doing your part yeah. you keep leading like i said that's I, all you I can do. That's all you can all do. You can i think do, one brother. good thing that came a couple of good things came from the conversation with goodell and i think he was uh sincere on a couple fronts um especially with the one the importance of voting um and mm. registering getting guys to register to vote and that was like one of the main topics um because mm-hmm. like i said if, if guys aren't voting on their own CBA, which is, you know, affecting them on, you know, a, a very right. personal level, I know guys are not registered and I know the guys aren't voting on, um, you know, larger, you know, larger no. policies and larger you know, people in office. Right. So it was a suggestion that because every, you know, every summer during training camp, we have a mandated set of meetings, whether that meeting yep. is um, for you know, on, on how to perf- behave in the workplace. We have a sexual assault meeting, sexual abuse meeting. Um, we have, you know, um, what else? Like the, the, the new rule meeting that's every year. Um, it was like, why don't we have, it takes, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, have a mandatory meeting in which you teach guys how to register to vote when yes. have them do it right there. It's, it's yes. very simple and very easy to do. You're not telling who to vote for, what, what you know, where to, where to, you know, check the box, but yeah. just registering, you know, exercise your right that we were not afforded for so long. It's, it's a very important thing, but. And I think he got that, and I think that's going to start being uh, implemented in the years to come, which I think will will be very important. And hopefully, the importance of that will lead to guys understanding the importance of voting on the CBA whenever that comes in ten years. Who's uh, who's the player rep uh, for your team? Uh, this year it was Stephen Weatherly, but he's no longer on the team. He's in Carolina now. Um, right. So I was just I was just thinking about a, a, an idea. Obviously, like you said, to obviously try to get everybody on the same page. Yeah. Um, obviously, like I said, this would be something, I guess, food for thought. Like, again, I think the, to try to at least get everybody on the same page to, to really address some of these issues as far as trying to, you know, get everybody to, on the same page for understanding, you know, what it takes to get what you want, especially, yeah. especially you players of color. Um, I think you should probably maybe just try the idea, just getting, uh, you know, contacting all the player reps. And just as you said, call sort of like a like a players only type of meeting people that want yeah. to 
really make a change and really fight for what you guys want. Yeah. Have those meetings, like you said, 30, 40 minutes after practice yeah. or whatever, that, and then connect the thing, the dots from there. The thing that hurt us was the CBA was supposed to be voted on in the off season when guys aren't at They moved season. it up. Yeah. So you can't get everybody in the same place. And we didn't have OTA, so we couldn't get everybody in the same place at right. the same time. And you could you sure you can get 20, 30 guys, but that's still you still have the guys on the team that are still aren't you know part of that. And th- their vote right. matters and their vote counts. And right. I know talking with our player rep, they when they were down in Florida meeting with all the other player reps of the team. So it was like 64 guys. Um and he said it was deliberations were were crazy. Like there were all type of, you know, people were on both all both sides of the fence. And that was just 64 guys. Now you multiply right. that by, you know, however many to get 20. to the 18, <laughs> 2,000 guys. It's like, yeah. it, 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 we're at a disadvantage because we, if we, I think if we would have been able to get all of our guys into our meeting room and sit down for, like you said, 20, 30, 40 minutes, right. whether that's just in one day or two days or a period of a week, you can really start getting the guys and educating these guys on, on what's going on and what they, you know, what, what the CBA really means. And, but they're just hearing things, whether it's from their agent and their agents working for the league, right? So their agents, you know, they, they don't. And really that was, and that was my other thing too. Like and the, the media's pushing out. The media works for the league, so the media's pushing mm-hmm. out. Oh, this is a great deal. Take right. it, take it, take it. And so they're reading all these things, but they're not really educating. They're reading the the actual right. text that's involved in this, and that's where it gets lost. And it's an easy thing to do to just check yes or check no instead of just knowing why you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. No, like I said, I think. You know, hopefully if something else comes out of it, we don't have to sign or it's signed, but we don't go through that 11 years of the way it is right now would be great. But again, we might be locked in that thing for 11 years, which is crazy because it's not a great deal. In my personal Well, I, I mean, personally, I don't think they're locked in. Just no different. Like I said, it's no different than a player's contract. You feel like you locked in. Like I said, bar, you just signed a deal for X amount of years. The Vikings can cut you next week if they want to. Absolutely. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. so and move on. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in the, I don't believe in that, that, yeah, it's a, yeah, you guys signed the deal. That well, the mentality for, of the players, they think right. that they're locked in. I mean, in. you're not necessarily locked in. You're only locked mm-hmm. in because, like you said, you feel like they got you thinking you're right. locked in. Yeah. But you right. guys can move the needle. Absolutely. change that it can be revised if need be all you guys gotta do like i said get together so i think like i said obviously like i said take that idea to some guys like i said obviously once the season starts you guys are able to kind of get back in the same building um yeah. and be able to have that you know that meeting um with the with a bunch of the guys you know independently of any coaches or what have you to address some of these issues because like i said this is this problem is not going anywhere bro and i think guys yeah. that really feel like you know Black Lives Matter, and this is, like I said, this is something that's that that's at the, obviously is at the forefront of this country that really yeah. means something to them. They, then they will attend those meetings. Yeah, no, absolutely, no, you're absolutely right, and I'll definitely will, like I said, continue to put the pressure on myself to to you know to to keep that thing fluid and hopefully keep get guys on the on the on the same page at the very least. You know, whether you agree mm-hmm. or disagree, as long as you understand, as long as you're educated about it, I don't care if you uh, how you vote, but right, don't. Just, right. Don't just don't just vote off of popularity or what you read, like, or what you what you see the guys doing. You know, do it off of what you what you know. Yeah. Do you think there's something more needed? Because as of right now, I said once the season starts, bro, it's 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 just expected. It's not going to be surprising to me to see a bunch of guys kneel and then the media is yeah. going to be all over it like it's some some great thing. So right. for me, I'm like, what's going to be more than a kneel? Because again. Colin Kaepernick did that four years ago. Now you yeah. got all these coaches. You're still having the same problem, out. though. Right. Yeah, you yeah. got all these white coaches, 
players coming out of Woodworks. Oh yeah, now I'm a kneel. Oh yeah, I'm right. gonna kneel now. But where was that bravado four years ago? When, exactly. why, why you couldn't twist that needle four years ago? So I think guys, I think guys were a little more scared. I think they were scared. They were nervous. You know what I'm saying? They they were. Right. Oh, I don't want to get. I don't want to upset nobody. And but at a certain point, you gotta right. be like, no, nah, forget that. Like I'm doing right. Exactly. Right. I'm doing, I'm doing yeah, the right man. thing, and I do what I know is right. The consequences are cool. Like, but I, as long as you, I know I did the right thing. Like, I'm not worried about the consequences. So, I think the the kneeling is great because it brings attention to the issue, and you could talk about right. it. But then there has to be action, and that's where that's our focus action. is. I think with the Vikings, like we're, we're we're actually trying to be proactive and be in the community and talk to these programs and try to mend these relationships and try to um, just educate ourselves on what's going on in in the community. And so I think I don't know. I'm sure other teams are doing it too, but I know especially with our owners, like we have really um, proactive owners and the Will family. Yeah, the um, Will family. They're very um, generous and they're very thoughtful and they're very, um, they're, they've been very helpful for us. You know, they're not trying to suppress our voice. They're trying to use, they uh, urge us to use our platform and continue speaking out and whatever we need that they have multiple conversations with the owners and they're like, whatever y'all need, just please continue doing what you're doing. We're, you know, we're proud. We're going to continue to support it. Um, and that I'm not sure every uh, team, you know, all the players can feel that way on whatever team they are. I'm not sure every owner's, you know, giving that support to their players. Yeah, well, yeah. Shout out to the Will family because they definitely, I said, support their players. And, and you're right. Out of 32 teams, I would say maybe five to ten owners are like that. You know, right. you, you hear a lot of players like I, I have never talked to the owner. Exactly. <laughs> you know, no, our guys are our guys are out there, and they're they're you know they're they're in there with us, and they're they're very active in the, in the community. So. Um, I, I, I'm just blessed to be with the, this organization because they have been um, so proactive and uh, vocal about um, everything that's been going on. Cool, cool. Well, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, Anthony Barr on Get Your Popcorn Ready podcast. Man, I appreciate you coming on, brother. Like I said, you know, it's uh, you keep doing your thing. You keep leading. I commend you on everything you're doing. Uh, just stay strong. Stay healthy out there, man. We appreciate you. Yes, all right, y'all. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Y'all be catch. Yeah, no, no doubt, man. Appreciate you coming on. And for everybody that's listening, uh, definitely please uh, don't forget to check out his uh, foundation, Raise the Bar. Um, it acts as a nonprofit to help out single parents get post-secondary education. So definitely want to you know, commend you for all your philanthropic work as well, as well Thank as you. you know the things that you're doing on the field. Yes, sir. My man. Thanks y'all for having me. All right, all right man. No doubt, boy. Peace. Right, Yo, I commend him on being a leader on the team like that's a it's it's hard people don't understand how hard it is to just be a leader amongst other men you know people like oh you know he gets older it's like no it's like you still have 30 year olds in that locker room 35 year olds in that locker room anthony Barr is 28 and he still you know commends their respect enough to lead to be one of the leaders on that team um i don't people i don't think people understand like just because you're older just because you signed a contract for big money just because you've made a couple of pro bowls doesn't make, make you a leader in the locker room. And, uh, and I think he showed, you know, showed us why he's one of those leaders on the team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a, num- a number of factors that goes into to being a leader, uh, really establishing a leadership in a locker room, especially amongst about, what, uh, almost 75 guys. Um, yep. when you think about the responsibility and then the accountability uh, of a guy um, that, that factors into, really kind of how your your team operates. And so you got a lot of young guys and there's a lot of older guys too, uh, putting, being put into that leadership role. Um, you're going to have a lot of guys looking up to you. So um, definitely I commend him again, uh, what he's doing on the field and off the field, because that leadership 
obviously it permeates uh, throughout whatever he's doing. Absolutely. And that kind of takes us to our three and out segment. Um, and the first one I want to talk about was, again, him saying how um, they draft guys with character, you know, for him to know that, to him to know what type of guys he has to, you know, Coach Zimmerman was a, was a big on character as a head coach. And for him knowing what type of guys are coming into that community and into that organization and him being a leader of those men kind of speaks volumes of what he's installing in these kids when they do get into that organization. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, what number two, Mm -hmm. uh, I think what really struck me is that uh, he took it upon himself. Obviously, like, yeah, he's like I said, he was in the Lions then speaking of Minnesota. I mean, he's right there in the heart of where George Floyd um, literally took his last breath. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to um, have, uh, again, the mental, I guess, strength, willpower, um, even just to reach out to the Minnesota uh, law enforcement, the, the police department, to mm-hmm. ask some of those difficult questions. Um, yep. I think this was something that I guess he and some of his teammates, uh, and I think even the organization, uh, organized to where they needed some answers. They want to feel, they want to be able to be able to make uh, Minnesota a better community because right now the you know there's a big target on on the state of Minnesota the the police department it's in itself and to obviously like I said to have uh, to to have a meeting with the chief of police and then piggyback that also um, with uh, the commissioner uh, of the National Football League and, and mm-hmm. Roger Goodell so uh, hopefully and then I'm hopefully something uh, became of those uh, two meetings um, but from what I heard. Um, like I said, there was a lot of unanswered questions um, that were that were being asked in that room. Right. Right. And thirdly, again, to, to piggyback off of that is his conversations with the ownership of the Minnesota Vikings. Right. Like I said, shout out to the yeah. Wolf family for really having a player's back, because, as you know, especially in this climate, how important it is for us to want to do something in our community, want to do something with our team. And then the owner's like, yo, I got your back. And for them to have multiple conversations, it's, you know, because as you know, I guarantee down in Dallas, those players are not having multiple conversations with Jerry Jones. And some of I'm guarantee, I guarantee there's a kid, you know, a couple players for sure that are trying to get a hold of them. And what does this mean? And what does it mean for my career? What's it mean for my community? What does it mean for my family? And when you can't get those questions answered, that's when frustration comes in. So again, the Wolf family having the players back, having all the Minnesota Vikings players backs in this, you know, climate uh, speaks volumes in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I know they're one of, uh, of maybe a couple or a few owners that have come out and spoken. Um, and I think that's on every sports platform. Um, mm-hmm. When you think of, you know, major league basketball, the NBA, um, soccer, all these other uh, organizations. Uh, but yeah, I think that's very admirable. Um, of the of those uh, owners, and you speak of the speak of the wills, um, to yeah, to to kind of echo, um, mm-hmm. you know, really the sentiments of uh, the players, um, what's going on in this country uh, as far as you know, Black Lives Matter, educating uh, the ones that are you know that need educating on on racism, and I think mm-hmm. that efforts, you know, especially the, them going into their own pockets, not their organization's pocket. Um, not, you know, doing anything on, on behalf of the, uh, I think that the Vikings organization, this is them personally mm-hmm. um, being vested in what's going on um, in this country. I think it's very, very admirable. 
Absolutely. So, yeah, we appreciate Anthony Barr for coming on the show and get your popcorn ready podcast. Four time pro bowler, six year NFL veteran linebacker, Anthony Barr. Appreciate you, brother. So subscribe on the Himalaya app or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel where you can see video, any other content associated with Get Your Popcorn Ready podcast. Go to youtube.com backslash Carol Owens. Peace.